Hello, my name is Jeff and I'm Professional Services Director at ShieldPay and this is the Shieldcast podcast. This podcast showcases ShieldPay friends, clients and partners to talk about topics that matter to them and importantly, that we find interesting. So on today's Shieldcast, we have Christian, CEO and founder of CatDesk. Welcome, Christian. Thanks a lot. Yeah, it's a pleasure being here. Um, so just a little brief introduction on Christian. Christian has 10 years experience in the alternative investment sector as a director for the investment platform funded by me and as managing partner of the corporate finance house Heartreacher. Christian's mission is to help distributed ownership in private air companies more fairly and provide more transparency in the private markets. Christian is very passionate about new ownership distribution models and regularly speaks about this topic at business schools and financial institutions. Well, Christian, this doesn't seem like a better introduction for what we're going to be talking today. And um, uh, both as a partner of ShieldPay and as a client of ours, um, I'm really looking forward to hearing about your thoughts on, on the fundraising journey for startups and and more about CatDesk and, and what you guys have planned. So to start us off with um, the 30 second pitch, the elevator pitch of what is CatDesk and um, what do you guys do? Thanks, Jeff. No pressure. I'll do my best. So I think in short, companies are staying private for much longer. And what that means is that never before has private companies, so companies that are not listed on the stock exchange, had this amount of shareholders, this amount of funding, but also this amount of, uh, of employee, employee shares issued. And what that means is that if you are a shareholder or an employee with um, with equity in a company that's private, is first of all, there's no transparency. So you don't really know how much you've vested of your employee share grant. If you're a shareholder, you don't really know the proper dilution and the company needs to deal with all those records. That costs a lot of money per yearly. And secondly, there's no liquidity, meaning that you won't ever get to see any cash, even though you've got equity in these private companies because they're not IPOing. So how would you get cash? And uh, CapDisk is an equity management platform we launched back in 2015, where we digitize all the equity on a platform, helping the company itself manage employee share plans and cap table and shareholders in a very um, efficient way. And at the same time, we are also now working together with, uh, with ShieldPay, as an example, and Cedars to create a secondary market whereby we create, create liquidity in the private markets, which is very exciting. That is very exciting. And so in that journey from 2015 onwards, you you guys must have gone through a number of funding rounds. What's been that experience for you? And well, I guess before that, but uh, you've been involved as an investor, but not only uh, and that. What, what are the, I guess, what are the key lessons that you've taken through all of those? What have been the experiences and, and how could you share those with other people? Yeah, I think um, if I was to say one thing about fundraising, it's what I've experienced myself it's that when you fundraise it typically you typically think now i'm going to use six months for fundraising and then you start fundraising and then you close the round but i would say that the relationship you built very early on in your career those are the ones that actually um, amount to funding so when one of my friends said asked me how on earth would you ever find somebody who wants to put a million pounds into CapDesk?" then i told him the truth is i don't really look for the money I look for who knows about this space. My very, very bad example, and um, forgive me, listeners, for this bad example, but for some reason I'm stuck with it. If you were a computer game designer, so you're making computer games online and you wanted to design a chair, the first thing you would do is you'd probably meet with a designer who designs computer games, who designs like animations of computer games, and then you said, hey, I want somebody who can design a chair. And then he would introduce it to five other people. And then one of those people, he didn't necessarily design chairs for computer games, but he designed something else. And then lastly, you end up with this one person who is the expert 
of designing chairs and furniture for computer games. And the reason for this bad analogy is that you don't look for the money, you look for people who are really interested in this space. And the only way you meet them is just by asking people who in the periphery of this of the corners of the markets and you know, tell them about what you're doing and if they know anybody that's interesting. And then all of a sudden you speak to somebody that's extremely interested in what you do. And then they happen to potentially one of them also have money and then they give you money. So never just look for money, look for people that actually cares about the, the space you're in. And then when you need money, you can go back to them and ask them, who do you know who's got money? I think that's a better way of doing it than just looking for money first. It's kind of the old adage that you go and find advice and then you come away with a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think that's that's true. I mean, you know, we've uh, I've I've worked for and been a, 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 on an accelerator and a, a different accelerators. And that really is the case. I mean, a lot of our seed seed round investors at ShieldPay were actually mentors uh, around that time. And who were real value add um, investors in in that in that perspective, and they understood the space, and so were able to add a lot of value and bring with their money. Exactly. The way that a business needs to grow is through those meaningful relationships. And how does that change uh, in your experience, going from I guess angel investors through to the more institutional VC type investors? How how does that how does that change? I think when you go for the angel investors, angel investors are, are motivated and different by by different things than than venture funds. I mean, angel investors can invest because they think you're a great guy, because they think it's an interesting market, and they like the business and so forth. Angel investors, keep in mind, could be happy with everything from getting their money back two times to 10 times, right? That's fine with them. Maybe some some, some people also just happy getting dividends in the end rather than exiting for a big amount of money. Uh, or some of them want to get a job. So angel investors' behavior is very different and it's very hard to analyze what they would like. Some invest for the EIS in the UK, which is a tax claim. So those people are more passionate people who are so passionate about your space or about you or about startups that they would like to give you some money in return. And there's some great government benefits here in the UK to um, to make sure that can be that can happen i think venture funds is where the game changes a little bit because venture funds are a company that's set up to get you know between 10 and maybe 20x return on investment so all of a sudden you're dealing with a venture fund you're dealing with uh, with people who are asking you about market sizing is the market large enough and uh, once you get the main as investor they will do everything they can in order to basically pump up your valuation as high as possible uh, and they'll put in a lot of clauses and also a venture fund i think strategy maybe i'm being a little bit too rough here but a venture fund strategy is not to make all the companies succeed it is to get that one absolutely uh, huge unicorn to pay for the rest and the door the, and then the rest fail so i think the motives change a lot once you go into venture funding and you really need to understand what is this venture fund looking for and are your company ready for a, a vc in the cap table yeah and that's that is always a tricky one because it, it is it brings on a whole new new level of, of pressure and due diligence that, that is brought to that investment process yeah it really does and i think also the relationship has to change the relationship does have to change, and that that DD process is is next level when you get to a venture fund compared to to uh, uh, angel rounds. And I guess that's where having your ducks in a row and getting everything uh, in place, um, you know, you you have to show your best shop shop window uh, when uh, whenever talking to an investor. But it comes even more real, real subsequently. And I guess that's where you know tools like. CapDesk help companies go through that and, and manage that journey with investors and, and presenting that, at least from a corporate structure point of view or, or equity point of view, a really clean slate and clean picture. Yeah, exactly. the shop window was really interesting because, you know, this is probably also one of the things we brand CapDesk on. And most people 
they go out and I got, there was this particular bank who had an incubator and I think they got a little bit pissed at me because um, they came out and I said, hey, if I, if I were to build a workshop for your accelerator, I want to tell them about equity structures and the equity they're selling. And then they were like, mm, well, we're not sure. And then I kind of told them, yeah, but you've, th here's the paradox you're having. All incubators go out and they've got God knows how many people to help them build a pitch deck and do a perfect pitch. So they're all selling, but nobody knows what they're selling. Nobody knows what the equity is and how much it's worth and how to structure it. So there's much more focus on selling a product than the product itself, the, which is the equity in your company. So I feel like it's a little bit Empress New Clothes. There's nobody there telling you about mm. as a seed founder, but it's a share. Do you know what a share is? Do you know what it means to investor? I think most will say no. It's a, it's a really good point because actually you're looking at the business as a whole as the product rather than just purely the, the thing that you're selling. A business can do multiple products in its lifetime, but the value that you're creating is actually the business as a whole. It's the administrative and operational aspect of it and the legal structure as well as a really great anything product, right? It can be anything. Yeah, you're, you're creating a really valuable piece of kit, uh, which is that whole company and all its shares and all its element parts, uh, intangible assets that become tangible to a certain extent. Yeah, exactly. I, I think so. And I think, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the time um, we do quite a few workshops. And at one point I was out speaking to a lot of Series A and Series B companies and, and, at one point in my presentation, I told them about how warrants should be reflected on the cap table. And then one of these uh, CEOs in the room puts their hand up and says, um, I've done, I've raised about 10 million pounds worth of funding and I have never put the warrants into the cap table. So that means roughly what that means is that all, all those 10 million pounds has been raised on a wrong, wrongly um, fully looted percentage. So all the investors own a different percentage than what they thought. And it's just crazy to me to hear that you're taking in 10 million pounds of money, but you cannot guarantee which percentage of the company they, they own. And that's because everything is being managed in these spreadsheets and that the lawyers are not always the best to, to translate what happened in the past because they, want, they weren't part of the past. So they all rebuild these new cap tables all the time. I think that's where, that's what something I'm very passionate about. You know, if you invest 10 million pounds, make sure that you know where your equity is and that it's tangible and what it's worth. Yeah, it's true. It's the managing that equity cap table that I think is the, the thing that every party to a transaction is the one that keeps passing the buck onto someone else. It's like the, the lawyer said the company needs to look after it. Within the company, it's a fight between the CFO and the uh, the legal team to see whether or not who's responsible for that. And then and then the investors are also <clears throat> trying to figure out, trying to make, to, make, to, make, to make sense of what's there. Um, and there can often be a lot of mistakes. I guess now with, with CapDesk, that sort of resolves for a lot of people those, some of those issues. So who generally kind of buys CapDesk? Who's the, who's the, who, who generally pushes the use of CapDesk? I think in all honesty, it's uh, second time CEOs or CFOs. So once a company gets large enough to have a CFO, so it's probably like Series A+, plus, they come to CapDesk. And that could be a mix of two different things. First of all, that the equity structure is now complicated enough that they need to have a equity management software. Or secondly, which I think is the case, is that finally they've got you know a finance director who actually needs to deal with all these things related to equity, and then he needs a software. I think CEO yeah. and then see yeah. second-time CEOs um, who have done it before and saw all the hassle and now want to start off right. <laughs> Yeah, I can, I can imagine. That's definitely why why we currently use uh, CapDesk. You guys have a lot of data around those different rounds, um, Series A, Series B, and et cetera. 
What have you seen? We've seen that there's been much more issuance of employee share plans or grants. So as we haven't necessarily seen a lot of people leave, but we've seen some of the employees actually get more employee shares in those companies as kind of a mixed compensation package where they cut the salary. I think Revolut did the same thing. So Revolut went out and said that they have cut some salary, some of the base salary and instead issued more employee share grants or employee shares. So we've seen that. I think in terms of funding rounds, in all honesty, because we deal mostly with Series A plus companies, they don't seem to be that affected. We've seen a few mega funding rounds. I think um, Moneybox, one of our clients, closed a huge round. Same for something called Wage Stream. Same for, so we've just seen a lot of mega rounds being done, which is probably a good thing. But that's also because we're a little bit biased because we look mostly at these more mature companies. I think for surely, I think a lot of the, the seed companies are maybe possibly taking a bigger blow because they've got maybe got less cash on hand or shorter runway. So they're forced to do other things than the ones who've just raised around have got good cash and have got some decisions they can make um, in the long term. Yeah. And so you're, you've now got Series A, you've got your, your money in now. What's been the, the dramatic change for you guys as a result of that? Like, how has that felt? And I mean, your, your recent partnership with Cedars um, must have been a big boost. And But that was, I guess, a little bit more before that. But w- w- what's the future hold for you guys in that respect? Yeah, I think, I mean, we have very fortunate we came through this time and we've been one of the companies that's been coping all right in this um also in terms of sales in these crazy this crazy year but i mean for us it's been i guess a little bit like shield pay we've been using a lot of time on developing a new market which wasn't there before and also creating infrastructure so not a lot of people thought that equity management was very sexy five years ago but we had to build all that infrastructure out so that we could change things on top and what we would like to change is, of course, liquidity in private companies and um, also make employee share plans much more transparent, not just in the UK, but in the rest of Europe. So what we got to do is I think people take for granted with those seed rounds and those pre-seed rounds that if you get half a million pounds, one million pounds, your runway is typically, let's just say a year, 18 months. Then you need to deduct six months of that to use for fundraising. I like to do a little bit more. And then you close the round. So that means you've got between six and eight months to perform. And then you need to hire people. So let's just say it takes three months to hire people. So whenever you raise a pre-seed round or so forth, then you only have time to see the effect of the people you've hired for three, four months. It's a little bit scary to think about because you're fundraising under the soul. So it takes three months to hire the people after you've closed the money. It takes four months to get those new people to do something great. And then it takes six months to fundraise based on those results. So you're always caught in this loop where it's so hard to get people in and evaluate them and build this core team up. So I think one of the things that we have definitely been looking at after this um, Series A round is actually how does the future in terms of culture and team look like and can our existing team have the right do the right do the current team and departments have the right people and talent to scale it up going from you know 35 people to 105 because if they are not talented enough to recruit and manage then we cannot do it so we've been very focused on the team and I told my board you know the next quarter or so the next four months don't look at the results because we're completely just recruiting and building out a new team and then we refine the team we've got those famously six months where we need to absolutely ace it and then we've got six eight months fundraising again <laughs> yeah the continuous cycle it's a it's a really i think really valuable thing to to highlight to people because i think it's the most overlooked thing right is you can't possibly uh start delivering the moment that you've raised around in the way that you said you have to allow for that time to uh to do all of those processes and finding the right people takes time um <laughs> really does take time because they have to fit in fit in on your, your culture on your mission yeah exactly it looks so generous in a forecast doesn't it you make a financial forecast you're like yeah i'm just gonna hire 15 people and then they're all gonna start and deliver 
delivering this revenue. And then you go out there and you figure out how hard it is to recruit one good person, right? So it's like, <laughs> it takes time. Yeah, no, it definitely does. So in your whole career, everyone has sort of their, I guess their pivotal point in their careers, right? What has been your like most formative moments, whether it's been cap desk or before to have really influenced the way that you now run you know, a very successful Series A funded company, which most people don't get to do. So what has been the driver to that? Yeah, I think, I think that's a good question, actually. I think very early on in my career, I've kind of always been a sort of person that just always made a lot of different projects. And I think it's, if you do enough projects, something will come out of it and something will stick. I just never felt like that, you know, I could find people and work with other people to really you know, do something cool. So when I found my co-founders, Mikkel and Martin, my uh, my two co-founders, uh, tech co-founders, and they said they were happy to build CapDesk, I just knew finally I can build something cool. And then I think coming to UK alone, so I traveled to UK alone and then getting our first 10 clients in the UK. I think that was an amazing feeling, that feeling of going to a country you've never been in before with a product that's just developed and then getting your first 10 clients. And then I think definitely um, our very first seed round from uh, Seed Capital, which is like one million pound round. That just felt like now we can really build something. That was really cool. And then I think, um, yeah, the round we just recently did was definitely a highlight because it meant that people believed in the secondary market, which nobody has believed in before in this and our way of doing Doing it. So I think that's definitely the highlights. Uh, well, that's definitely the, the bit I'm also most excited about, about actually, the, the secondary market. And I think that's something that I want to talk to you a lot more about at a, at a different time. But it's, um, it is it is something that is that is potentially hugely transformative in the way that private companies can survive for longer private and for people to get the upside of it. So it's going to be fascinating to see how that develops. Kristen, well, I think it's been a really lovely to have a chat with you today. I think we have we have more to talk about at a different time, but uh, for today, I'd like just to, to thank you very much for taking the time this afternoon and uh, speak again soon. Fantastic, Jeff. Thanks a lot for having me.